Alright, and welcome to Tapeheads. I'm Sean. And I'm Lindsay. Tapeheads is the podcast where we select a VHS tape from either my collection or Lindsay's collection. We watch it, and then we have a little chat about it. Lindsay, did you know that for a limited time only, you can select one of several 20th Century Fox VHS tapes for under $10, except in Canada, including Big... We've seen this ad too many times. Short Circuit, Cocoon, Predator 2, Rebecca, Young Frankenstein, other things that don't fit in with these other films. The Man with One Red Shoe, which you covered today and has this ad on the front of the tape. It's amazing how many tapes advertise themselves before the film starts. Yeah, the the 20th Century Fox selections sort of make sense because they kind of just put out all these movies from their archives and just slapped that maroon banner on the top in this same ad. Although there's different cuts of this ad. Mm -hmm. I think it was sort of a seasonal thing where they'd add more films to the selections umbrella. I don't know why this is a Fox selection. It's continually a mystery why they pick some of these movies. Well, it's a selected series of films available at a special value for a limited time. They're implying that these are classics, but they're not actually explicitly saying They never say that they're good, though. I mean, granted, some of them are great. Some of them are great. The Abyss. Yeah. uh, uh, Commando. Big is weird, but big is good. Tom Hanks. Okay, so we haven't actually introduced the film we're watching today. The movie we're talking about today is The Man with One Red Shoe, starring Tom Hanks. And I've realized, since we also recently watched The Burbs, just for funsies, (laughs) because that should have been on the podcast, but it's not. It could be someday. One day. One day. Tom Hanks really did some weird movies. Not to mention... uh, Early in his career. Joe vs. the Volcano is another one that's super weird. I wonder who his agent was, like, in the 80s. I think that, but Tom Hanks is himself kind of a quirky guy. Like, his Twitter is all pictures of random gloves that he's found on the ground. (laughs) And his progeny is Colin Hanks, who's also kind of a weird guy. Yeah. Tom Hanks, he came on the scene basically with Splash. Which is, well, I don't know now. You rewatch things later, and you you realize they're not as good. I have fond memories but of Splash. I think I I remember Splash being excellent. I remember it being very fun. I don't know about excellent. I remember it being fun. Well, excellent in a child's mind. So a very fun watch. So the man with one red shoe is. If you count his early appearance in a slasher movie called He Knows You're Alone in 1980. Which counts. Uh, yeah, I guess it counts. This is his fourth movie. He did He Knows You're Alone in 1980, Splash in 84, Bachelor Party in 84. I haven't seen Bachelor Party. Have you? I haven't, no. And then this in 85, The Man with One Red Shoe. This is also the same year as Volunteers uh, with John Candy. But uh, yeah, he, he did a lot. He, he was doing a lot of broad comedy, I would say, at the beginning of his career. Yeah, which is probably easier to step into... We've already talked on the show about how big was the turning point. That was 88. That was his first Oscar nomination. Mm -hmm. That's where he went from, hey, here's the guy who's in a lot of broad comedies. It could sort of go either way to, oh, this guy's a real talent. 
But the Burbs is a strange follow-up. Well, I mean, he also did Turner and Hooch right after, although that might have been a paycheck. And then Joe versus the Volcano. There's no understanding. There's no understanding the course of his career. And Bonfire of the Vanities, which is a notorious flop. I feel like he really got his act together, like, in the mid-90s. Like, starting with League of Their Own, Sleepless in Seattle. Oh, yeah, those are all so Leading up to -to back-to-back Oscar wins with Philadelphia Mm -hmm. and Forrest Gump. But we're talking early Tom Hanks today. We're talking Tom Hanks out in the weeds. He's got that soft, smooth baby skin still. Lindsay, this is your selection. Your Fox selection. It's a part of a selected series of films available at a special value for a limited time, except in Canada. Tell me, what is your history with this tape? Because I'd never seen this film. I'd never even heard of this film. And I was surprised that you hadn't heard of it. it. It's another of those movies that are apparently obscure, but because I saw them as a child, I just assumed everyone knew them. Watching this movie now, it's not a kid's movie to me. So I'm just so no. curious. I'm just so curious to like, pick your brain. I mean, not just because some of the content is like a little questionable, but also because the plot is so opaque and complicated, at times very boring. It's like as complicated as like a Dashiell Hammett novel with all the ins and outs and different, uh, it almost also sort of feels like this trifle and it feels very adult also, even though it's very silly. I keep thinking about Three Men and a Baby. My wonder that the, that I had the patience to deal with that movie as drag, as, as much as it dragged out and then seeing this that I remember enjoying this movie as a kid and being caught up in the silliness of it and everything and then realizing most of what was going on probably went completely over my head. There's a scene where clearly the Daryl Hannah-esque blonde Lori Singer who works for the CIA is being kind of used as a uh they're using her for her sexiness and she's about to give Tom Hanks a blowjob clearly and she gets her hair stuck in his pants and all this stuff and I, I I when I think back I don't remember any of the sexuality of this movie at all like there's one of Carrie Fisher's character invites Tom Hanks to to do Tarzan role play with her while she's wearing a leopard print bikini in an act of adultery as <laughs> we find out yes I can't figure out how I actually enjoyed this movie as a kid because I can't believe that I would have understood all of the aspects of what was going on Speaking of trying to explain all the aspects of what's going on, maybe we should try and take a crack at this plot. Um, Because the way I understand it, you've got two kind of warring factions of the CIA. Mm -hmm. You've got the CIA director, played by Charles Durning. And then you've got the deputy director, played by Dabney Coleman. Mm -hmm. And the deputy director is caught up in this drug smuggling plot in morocco as we see in the opening scene like this card falls off a crane and it's filled with cocaine and then there's like a trial that's being presented uh in front of the senate where people are giving evidence and they're bringing forward witnesses and stuff and so the deputy director dabney wants to kind of put a stop to all this to save his career so he's not implicated in all the drug smuggling whereas the director is eager to ruin Dabney's career. And so he's working with the great Ed Herdman, who we just saw in The Lost Boys, playing a very different character. They cook up this rotten distraction plan 
basically the, I guess we could call it the good side of the CIA, but they're both pretty murky. The better side, I guess. Maybe. The director, uh, kind of just looking out for his job. He's, he's putting together, uh, his case to, um, distance himself from these drug charges. He tells Edward Herman to, hey, find some schmo, some, like, random civilian and make him seem important so the evil side of the cia follow him around they'll be distracted like a wild goose chase as so you said they have this whole elaborate setup where you go into the director of the cia's home and everything in his home is bugged so they have this kind of elaborate conversation to sort of set up the idea that they have a key witness that they have to bring in to present to the senate that witness will just ruin everything for the deputy director and so that witness or the supposed witness that they don't actually have ends up being tom hanks who's on a return flight from chicago and ed herman picks him off of an escalator he notices something special about this man he's got one red shoe and this is because his friend, Jim Belushi, is kind of an asshole. Using the term friend loosely here. Essentially, Tom Hanks plays a violinist who's a part of an orchestra and also is a teacher, a music teacher. He is on this orchestra with Jim Belushi and Carrie Fisher. Jim Belushi and Carrie Fisher are married. Thus, Tom Hanks playing Tarzan with Carrie Fisher later a little awkward and you can tell they're not really friends if he's fooling around with his wife you know what i gather from watching the man with one red shoe and the burbs where they both feature tom hanks and carrie fisher as a, sort of an item i just get the sense that carrie fisher had a really rough time getting quality roles after return of the jedi she was wasted in this absolutely wasted her character was just kind of like this sexy cute and quirky and it just was kind of crazy too yeah and it was just an excuse for a few laughs and i guess to make tom hanks's character seem more appealing and we got we need to talk about Tom Hanks's character because I don't think I've ever seen him so unappealing in a movie. Just yeah. like so I mean granted he's always going to bring something to the table. Like there's always going to be some quirkiness to him, but there's just not much to this character on the page or yeah. in the movie. I mean ultimately he ends up rejecting Carrie Fisher's advances, but this is after they've already had a bit of a tryst in Chicago while they were all on a trip together. So he they already kind of established that he's not that great of a guy but they're salvaging him by making him reject her once they get home and then he's a teacher and this is the really awkward thing he's like a music teacher he has kids come into his home and then he teaches them in his like smoking jacket he's wearing a robe <laughs> and pajamas i mean come on what are these kids paying for well, they're, they're paying to be taught by the best, you know, this great violinist, Tom Hanks. I guess so. And Laurie Singer as sort of this uh, femme fatale who's employed by the CIA to kind of, I guess, seduce him. It's really gross because they kind of unapologetically just sell her out and sell her body for whatever purposes they want. It's really disgusting and there's no hesitation over it it seems like it's just standard practice and she's such a daryl hannah look-alike yeah you can tell that that was definitely the the look that people wanted at this time 
the like heavy eyeliner and like the feathered platinum blonde hair. Yeah. And then there's Jim Belushi, who's the one responsible for the one red shoe. He hilariously stole one of uh, Tom Hanks's shoes. You know, you almost feel sorry for him because his wife's cheating on him, but then you don't really because he's kind of an asshole. As an apology gift for the shoe debacle of hiding Tom Hanks's shoes from him so he only had a one red sneaker and one dress shoe. He gives him a box of cigars that are exploding cigars, which could actually cause him bodily injury. Yeah, it's hard to understand why you would ever want to be friends with Jim Belushi's character. Yeah, and then once he, when he finds out, he overhears part of, Well, there are two things that happen. The CIA is unbelievably incompetent. So they're recording the deputy director who's trying to save himself from this key witness. They, they set up all these recording devices, and so they're listening in. And so when the Tarzan role play happens, it all gets recorded, and they're listening to it in the van, in this, like, giant van. And Jim Belushi happens to hear it because they're blasting the audio. So you hear this ooh-ooh-ah-ah, uh, like the weird monkey sounds and stuff. And then Carrie Fisher's voice and Jim Belushi goes nuts because he thinks that his wife is having sex with someone in a ambulance. And like, what do they have it over a PA? Like, how can people outside the van hear it so clearly? It's just, it's it's this kind of weird gag that they, there are a bunch of weird gags that they put in that just don't really add humor. It just adds kind of confusion and you think, like I kept stopping to think, this is kind of dumb. Like, why is this even happening? And also some of the tonal shifts in the movie, like there's the whole gag of once Tom Hanks leaves his apartment, the CIA rushes in and starts, you know, trashing the place and then they have to put it all back together. But of course they put it together wrong. Mm -hmm. So the plumbing's all backwards and his toothpaste has been switched with shampoo like, haha, that's a, like a pretty funny light gag. But then later, when there's cases of mistaken identity, all of this man's teeth are ripped out horribly. Yeah, and you see him talking with a bloody mouth later, and it's just supposed to be funny, and it's horrifying. Haha, <laughs> he thought he was Tom Hanks, so he had all of his teeth ripped out. Well, this is because they thought there was a listening device in Tom Hanks's tooth. That old trick. That old trick, like as if people put, you know, secret information in their teeth all the time. And then you have Jim Belushi, who after he thinks that Tom Hanks is having an affair with his wife, he gets out his 45 and goes over to Tom Hanks's house and like says he's going to blow out his brains. Yeah. Ends up either killing or like being witness to a bunch of killings of just random CIA agents. So yeah, I don't think he ends up killing anyone. It's just that he sees the dead bodies of these random opposing factions of the CIA who are, who have been watching Tom Just Hanks. These disposable human beings who drop dead all over the place and whose bodies are shifted around so Jim Belushi thinks he's going nuts. Yeah, and then, you know, Tom Hanks is told by Jim Belushi, I was going to blow your brains out and I keep seeing dead bodies everywhere. And what does Tom Hanks do but offer him alcohol? Because that seems like a great choice without, you know, taking the gun away from him or anything. Yeah, none of these uh, character things uh, make sense, and very few of them are funny. 
It's weird, too, because not only did they waste Carrie Fisher, but it felt like they wasted Tom Hanks. Like, his character is such a milk toast and is so bland. They just didn't take advantage of the great talent that they had there, which is a huge bummer. I almost liken it to some of Steve Carell's early choices after he was out of The Daily Show. Like Dan in real life. He's done like a mixture of, you know, broad comedies, uh, some that really hit, some that didn't, some experiments that didn't really work out. Like Hollywood was trying to sort of figure out what to do with him. And he's starting to do a lot of great dramatic work and in the like, but it took a while for for people to really figure out what to do with him. And I feel like that's kind of this the phase that Tom Hanks was in at this point in his career. Like they didn't really know his potential yet, and yeah, so they're kind of just like, oh, we just need sort of an everyman for this spy adventure. Yeah. This all kind of leads to this one of the most upsetting scenes of the movie. You've already kind of touched on it, where. Tom Hanks is lured to this hotel room, which has a two-way mirror, and all of the CIA are watching. The, the bad, well, we're calling them the bad section as faction. None of the CIA is made to look very good in this movie. And I have to talk about this. Uh, oh, God. I This is one of the most appalling pieces of wardrobe I've ever seen in a film. <laughs> Laurie Singer's gown, if you can picture this, it's a backless gown that goes all the way to basically her ass crack. So you can see like the top third of her butt. And it's so unsettling it's, so... it's interesting because it's really high in the in the front it's above her collarbones and it's it's almost like crew neck sort of thing in the front and then it's completely open back and it's so surprising to see that plumber's crack on that beautiful body and she looked i mean she looks amazing you can tell she looks amazing but it's such a weird wardrobe choice and it's again that sort of idea of completely exploiting her to an extreme degree that she can't even get clothes that completely cover her i mean the rest of the situation you know there's some champagne out like clearly like you know he's a classy violinist so she wants to set the mood but then there's like this whole plumber's crack thing going on it's just so bizarre and it's especially gross because you know that she probably didn't pick that dress herself there was like the deputy director of the cia was just kind of like get her something that you where you can where there's nothing left of the imagination this is a remake of a uh, French farce entitled uh, The Tall Blonde Man with the One Black Shoe. Which is another connection to the three men and a baby for this movie. So you have to wonder how many like tips of the old hat there are to that film. But I, I doubt that this gown was part of the French movie because it is disturbing. Uh, we can't disturbing. say for sure. We did not look it up. I could see the French picking a gown like this. Yeah. I could see that. Why not? You know, show a little butt. Get that butt out there. The breasts are overplayed. I just feel like they put the cleavage in the wrong place and it did not quite work. <laughs> it's a bold choice and yeah. it doesn't work very well. It's a little weird. Gosh. Well, I mean, it all climaxes, of course, with uh, the bad CIA guy getting busted. Uh, mm-hmm. Tom Hanks's name is cleared. But in the process, we find out that the CIA director who said pick a civilian as our distraction tool, he tells Ed Herman, just let him die, let them do whatever, because the bad guys want to kill Tom Hanks since they think he's crucial to their case. There was already a feeling that the director wasn't so great 
either. And then they kind of really hammer at home that he's pretty bad, too. That he doesn't care about the civilian whose life he's kind of ruined and is fine with just letting him die. Yeah, which uh, paves the way for old Eddie Herms, Edward Herman, to uh, take over as CIA director. Which comes out of nowhere, literally, like, final scene of the movie. Or is it the final scene? It's the very last scene. Like, we've already wrapped up that Tom Hanks and Laurie Singer are going to live happily ever after. Which is still really weird to me, because they don't know each other. They seem completely incompatible. We've seen... Almost no character development for anyone in the film. Like, they really didn't care about having actual story, like, actual character arcs for anybody, including Tom Hanks. But anyway, Ed Herms, at the end there, just introduces, oh, by the way, director, I'm the new director, you're former. And it just... Out of the blue, there's no there's no preamble to that. There's no setup. It just happens, and you have to wonder. Well, I guess he just wrangled it somehow. And he does the '80s equivalent of the mic drop, which is taking out that old uh, what do you call that? Like the breath spray. Yeah, that and breath just freshener. Going <laughs> right into his mouth <laughs> and so taking stylish. off in a helicopter. The end. So stylish. And I think what's just kind of exhausting about this movie to me is it's another one of those where like. And on the one hand, like, a lot of events happen. Like, a lot of crazy bicycle chases and stunts and wacky mistaken identities. And and yet, very little happens at the same time. It's interesting because The Burbs is really similar in that it has really quirky characters. Everybody's pretty weird. Weird things are happening. But The, the Burbs is actually a lot better in my opinion i think it's way yeah. more successful it did come I think a little most later people would agree that the burbs is a better movie they still wasted carrie fisher but they they managed to make something cohesive and they managed to create characters that you kind of care about in this movie everybody's just kind of there somehow they don't manage to be dynamic or interesting enough to make me really care about them or worry about them yeah i'd say at best they're just there and at worst they're really gross oh but do you remember what about this movie like really hooked you as a kid like was this one you watched a lot no this is one i watched maybe just a couple times that i remember having a memory of it being really funny and quirky i don't have any really distinct memories of it I honestly have a really bad memory for movies. Most of the movies that I watched as a kid, I might recognize like the VHS cover, but I couldn't tell you what it was about or the events that happened in it. And this Except is one of Man those... of the House, right? Well, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but this was one of those ones that I had seen a couple times, and it, I had it made an imp- enough of an impression on me that I remember that it was fun and funny. As an adult, I don't know if I agree with my old self. I I really wanted to like this movie. It's very hectic. It's very stressful because this guy's life is being destroyed. And yet he's also not very sympathetic. And it's weird because they took the time and they put in the effort to make a very convoluted mystery storyline thing that was going on. But they didn't care enough to develop the characters or have them transform or change in any way. Or give them that much depth. Like, nobody, there's not a ton of depth in anybody in this film. Or at least, the, Laurie Singer's character probably is the one that has the most depth and character development of any of them in the film. But 
just the way that they play her out and what they have her do and what they have the CIA do with her is so off-putting that it still doesn't really work to save it in any way. What are, the, what are any good things we can say about this? We've been kind of... We've been pretty tough on this one. Yeah, we've been bashing this. What What is there that's good about it that you could say? Well... Or is there anything? I mean, we sort of touched on it last episode in The Lost Boys, but any movie is automatically improved by the presence of one Edward Herman, Eddie Herms. <laughs> Uh, he plays the grandfather on Gilmore Girls, of course. Uh, he brings just a certain, uh, certain clout to any film that he's in. Honestly, he might be the most likable of the characters introduced in the movie. Almost by design. Like, he's the one person in the CIA. I mean, even though he's the one who originally chooses Tom Hanks mm -hmm. and kind of sets this all in motion... He was just kind of following orders, and I don't think he realized how bad this would really get. Well, and they turn him into the good guy because even though he ruins Tom Hanks's life, he saves Tom Hanks's life, right? Because the original CIA director says, I don't care if he dies, let him die. And the original CIA director's take is that Laurie Singer should die because she was on the opposing side. And Ed Edward Herman says, no. Tom's going to live, and Lori is going to live happily ever after with him. They're not going to live happily ever after. This is a guy that has children come into his home and teaches them music in his smoking jacket. <laughs> this makes me really want to revisit Splash, though, because it makes me wonder, what is Splash actually going to be like? Is it another one that is twisted in my memory? I but people still talk about Splash, you know. You hear That's about true. that, and and it launched uh, Ron Howard's career as a director. I just feel like this is one that isn't quite in the consciousness. Like I'm sure there's people out there who like it. But like it's I'm a sure Fox selection. It's a Fox selection, yeah. Along with Hot Shots Part Two. This gives me the same lesson that we had from Three Men and a Baby, and it's that maybe we shouldn't take French films and try to improve on them. Maybe we should just leave those French films alone and just release them in the U.S. with dubbing and or subtitles. But then we wouldn't have The Birdcage with Robin Williams and oh, Nathan Lane. Oh, good Based point. on La Cage au Fond. Okay, that's oh, an oh. excellent point because The Birdcage is a really good movie. Yeah, I think that that's the exception to the rule. Yeah, and I can say it's really good because I've seen it more recently. I've seen it in the last two years. Oh, yeah. Uh, well, this was your selection, your 20th century yeah. Fox selection, which, as we know, is uh, a selected series of films available at a special value for a limited time, <laughs> under $10, except in Canada. You're not going to do that again after this episode, are you? <laughs> we'll see. I think I already know the answer, but do you buy it, rent it, or tape over it? In this case, the tape was literally severed. By the VHS player for us. But yeah, I'll say tape over it. Why not? This VCR uh, needs to go. We need a new VCR here on Tape Heads. I'm going to actively start looking for a new one. We've lost three tapes to it so far. It's claimed the lives of an American werewolf in London, friend of the show Chad Hines' copy of Blair Witch Project, and now the man with one red shoe. Well, this one I'm not going to miss. I, I, I don't really care that it was ruined because I'm never going to watch it again. Well, I'll get you a replacement copy so you can, you can enjoy it over and over and over again.
Uh, I'm also going to say tape over it. Like, I could see these pieces working in a movie. Like, the everyman who's preyed upon by a massive surveillance system. Like, it's almost like the comedy version of Enemy of the State. Like, that could be funny. It could be awesome. But they introduce all these side characters who we hate. Uh, It introduces all these gross characters. Like... I just don't like anyone in the movie, and it's not really funny, and the spy stuff, and I love a good spy caper, the spy stuff is not interesting. I think this is just kind of a, you know... It's a dud. It's a dud. Sorry, Tom Hanks. Well, I don't think you have to apologize to Tom Hanks, Lindsay, because Tom Hanks himself described this film as, quote, not a very good movie. It doesn't have any real clear focus to it. It isn't about anything in particular that you can honestly understand. (laughs) It made no money at all, end quote. (laughs) Uh, For the record, this movie opened at the box office on the uh, July 19th weekend of 1985 in number seven with $3 million uh, behind the third week of Back to the Future, E.T., which was being re-released, Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome, Cocoon, which is another 20th Century Fox selection, Silverado, and Rambo First Blood Part 2, which was in its ninth week, and it already grossed $130 million. Jesus, I did not realize that movie made so much money. Wow. Um, So yeah, this was a big flop, uh, but it sounds like Tom Hanks learned a little something from it. Mm -hmm. I, I don't think he was ever in quite a misfire like this again. I think this is definitely worse than Joe vs. the Volcano. Well, Joe vs. the Volcano, I actually have some respect for. And we can talk about that on the... We need to actually cover that movie. Because yeah. there's a lot to say about it. It's got some major problems. And that's a very memorable movie for me. But it was definitely a better watch than this, for sure. You can be weird and kind of off-putting as long as you're memorable. This is weird and off-putting and... I'm glad that we're recording this right now because I'm not sure if I could remember all these details if we waited longer. Yeah. Well, what are we watching next, Sean? Well, we are having a guest on the show next oh. time. Um, my good friend Ulrich Bursell, who is a filmmaker here in the San Francisco Bay Area. He's made some award-winning shorts, Strange Thing and Brother. He's also working on a feature right now and... Critically, he has his own podcast, which I highly suggest you check out, called Making Movies is Hard. It's about the uh, pitfalls of indie filmmaking and this crazy time we live in. He selected the Arnold Schwarzenegger, James Cameron classic, The Terminator. Aw, yeah. So, be sure (laughs) to check out that episode. I have a feeling it is going to be a good one. I'd like to thank Will Price for use of his song Mandatory Groove. You can hear more of Will's music at soundcloud.com slash gargantulon. You can learn more about us and our other episodes at tapeheadspodcast.com. You can also contact us at tapeheadspodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear your feedback. Please rate and review on iTunes. That's it for Tapeheads. I'm Sean. And I'm Lindsay. Until next time. <laughs>